In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth, between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court set in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the visions of, in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth, iron, and claws of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and about the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had great eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came, and the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and trample it down, and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings." He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. 
and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom of the, and the dominion, and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven, shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions shall serve and obey him. Here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. My color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. And friends, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, how we need your Holy Spirit. I certainly feel that now. We need your spirit to stir us up, to hear your word, to want to hear it, to receive it by faith. And Lord, to understand what it has to say to us. Help all of this to take place. For you are faithful. You've given your spirit to your church. You give faith to your people. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, we live in a world of images, images all around us. And I'm sure you saw that this morning. Um, it doesn't take long as you, you get out of bed and you, you get on your phone and all of a sudden images are flashing across your, the screen and, and entering your mind. And, you know, you spend a few minutes on social media, maybe more than a few minutes. And, and right away, you know, the images going through your news feed are everywhere. They have messages for you. Images throughout our culture, on the TV screen, on the sports stadium, in the ads that come to us in the mail, and the political figures who, who make their appeal to us in the town square, in the architecture of the city, in the architecture of the country. Images Everywhere, All of them sending us messages. All of them entering through our eyes. All of them telling us, hey, this is the good life. This is the way that history is headed. This is who you are. You ever felt that way? Just kind of overwhelmed by the images around you? So it's been for Christians of every age. Sometimes I wonder what it would be like to be you know, Daniel walking through Babylon and seeing the, the towering images to, to kings and emperors. And, and then I wonder what it would be like to be Jesus or Paul, you know, walking through Rome, seeing idols. Jesus walking through Jerusalem and seeing images all about him. Paul walking through Rome and seeing images everywhere. We live in a world full of images, but let me get to my point. God gives us his own set of images. God counters the images of the world, the ones that come through our, our, our eyes. And God gives us images in his word to challenge the world's understanding of things. 
to show us where history is really headed and, and to show us where we fit into all of this. You see, there's a great war of images going, around, going on around us. Images the world sends us and the images that God gives us in his word. That's the key that you have to understand as we start to hear the apocalyptic portion of Daniel, the dreams and visions portion of Daniel. Maybe you've come to um, dreams and visions in, in the Bible and you say, I do not know what to do with this. What are these beasts? What is this throne? You know, what is this fire? What on earth is going on here? And there's numbers all over the place and there's um, just crazy vivid images. You say, is God giving this to confuse me? And what you need to know is that is not the case. God is giving you these images, these vivid pictures in his word, not to confuse you, but to direct you, to comfort you, and to encourage you. Because pictures are strong. Pictures have the power to move us and to convince us of things. And so God gives us his own pictures to keep us settled, to keep us clear. That's what we see in Daniel chapter 7. I mean, boy, are there images all over this passage. In fact, I think I've told you this, this before, that when I was in seminary, one of my favorite professors um, said there are two right answers to any question. And the first is, is Jesus, and the second is Daniel chapter 7. And so he'd ask us, you know, um, we'd be studying, uh, interpreting a passage in the Bible, and, uh, and he'd ask us a question. And then when we were stumped, he said, you know, there are two right answers to every question. And we knew, okay, he probably wants us to go to Daniel chapter 7 and, and find this key picture uh, in God's word there. It's in a really important passage. And it's important because of this flood of images that God gives you for your good. We ought to look at these images here. We're going to look at three of them. We're going to see the horrible beasts. And then we need to look at the Ancient of Days. And then finally, we need to see the cloud rider, the horrible beasts, the ancient of days. And then this, this one like a son of man who comes on the clouds. Images to combat the images of this world. Images to direct you for your good. The horrible beasts appear in this chapter. Um, you can't miss them, can you? They're like monsters that come out of the depths of the sea. You can almost picture like you know, the waters are calm in the sea and then they start to bubble. You start to see something surge out of the ocean. It's one gruesome, hideous monster after another. And as soon as you hear the sea, you know, we actually hear about the sea throughout the Bible. And it's a symbol. When we're working with a world of pictures and symbols, the sea stands for the evil and chaos that surged throughout this fallen world. That's what the sea often pictures in the Bible. It's like a swamp, and out of that swamp come all sorts of evil, distorted, sinful things. The beasts are terrifying, and they're not just terrifying because they're big and powerful. They're terrifying because they're evil, and they come from an evil source. They are set on destruction, and we see uh, as we read this passage, especially towards the end, that they are set on destroying 
God's people. On waging war against the saints. Again, waging war against you. The four hideous, hideous, enormous, misshapen monsters emerge from these depths. And um, each one of them is worse than the other. The first one is a lion with eagle's wings. But as Daniel watches, those feathers of a bird are stripped off and the, the lion is made to walk around like a man. And then you have a second monster. And who is he? He's a bear, but he's deformed. And he kind of walks around like the hunchback of Notre Dame, right? With one side of him hiked up. And in this hideous bear's jaws are three ribs of, of the, the, the last beast that he's just consumed. And then you have another one. If, if, if you aren't overwhelmed at this point, there's a leopard. And the leopard has four heads. And with those heads, it can look. There's nowhere you can hide from it. And there's also nowhere that you can run because that leopard has wings that it can fly after you. It's fast, speedy. The most hideous of all is that fourth creature. You notice there's not even really earthly images to describe it. That's how hideous it is. You just hear of like clashing iron and stomping feet. And you say, this thing has to be horrible. Ten horns that stick up from this machine-like beast. And then this one little horn, Daniel zooms in on. And it has eyes and a mouth and it's speaking all sorts of arrogant things. Prideful things. This is stuff like out of a nightmare, isn't it? What on earth do these beasts represent? You know, you say, what am I to make of all this? Well, God helps you to interpret the the pictures he gives you right here in this passage. What on earth do these monsters represent? Well, God tells you they are the powers that run our world. These are the head honchos. They are... The emperors and empires that that rule things one after another. And you got a glimpse of this actually in Daniel chapter 2, right? Where you remember back to that, we saw a dream. And in that dream were four parts of a statue. And Daniel told us, hey, these four parts of a statue are four kingdoms. He even told us what the first kingdom was. He said, it's Babylon. You, O king Nebuchadnezzar are the head of gold of that statue. And here we have another four sets of pictures, but this time not parts of a statue, but they're beasts, monsters. And we're told in verse 17, these four beasts are four kings who shall arise on the earth. Now, it doesn't take too long to look throughout history and to look at the emperors and empires and kingdoms that were following Daniel to start to make some connections. And um, at first you might start to do this and say, am I doing this right? You know, but it becomes pretty clear. I, I believe that these nations, these empires align with the kingdoms that come in history, starting with Daniel's time and following so the first one, the, that lion with eagle's wings, that majestic lion, is like King Nebuchadnezzar in his empire of Babylon. And what do we see at the end um, of Nebuchadnezzar's reign? That he's very much made to look like a man, reminded he is a man, and he walks like a man. In fact, he likes like, walks like a beast for a time to learn that he is but a man. And then that second um, 
picture, that bear, that hideous bear that's deformed, um, where one side is hiked up over the other, truly seems to align with Media Persia, that combination of of nations after Babylon that had, um, uh, in, in which Persia had an imbalance of power over over Medea. And then that leopard that uh, goes everywhere and sees all things seems to be Alexander the Great with his speed um, and the way he took over the world with great speed. And finally, that final beast surely seems to be Rome with its ferocious power and its many kings. And so we can line up these beasts with real historical Empires that I think Daniel was meant to see that. And the people of God receiving the book of Daniel were meant to receive that. But, but here's what I want you to hear. Are you listening? If we get obsessed with tracking down those empires and aligning each of these empires with a beast, then we're going to miss the point. In fact, I've seen it happen time and time again with scholars who get so focused on that that they're like, okay, I did my job. You see who they all were about? They're missing the point. Because you'll notice when Daniel asks for an interpretation, the angel in verse 15, he doesn't, he doesn't give a name for the nations. Because that's not the point. The point isn't that these beasts align with specific nations. Surely there's a sense in which that's true and that the people of God are meant to see that as they look back on history. But What you are meant to see from this vision is that the powers that rule this world are deeply and disturbingly depraved. And they're no friends of God and his people. That's true for Daniel as he looked and saw Nebuchadnezzar trample over the temple in Jerusalem like a beast. And then he saw Antiochus Epiphanes, the great Greek tyrant who oppressed God's people at the time of the Maccabees. And God's people would see that and say, it feels like a monster is ruling us. And then you have Nero at the time of Rome who oppresses God's people, who oppresses the Christians and leaves people saying, he's like a machine, like a beast who crushes us and stomps us under his feet. It's true for Daniel. It's true for Christians of all time. And it's true for us today too because we can look back and say, yes, these beasts were like the nations that would follow like Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, Rome. But they're also like Hitler's gas chambers. They're also like China's red army. They're also like the war chiefs in Sudan who behead followers of Jesus Christ. The beasts are very much living today. They keep appearing like a cycle. In fact, you look at Revelation chapter 13, and one thing you notice is that there's a beast that comes out of the sea. Sound familiar? And that beast is a mixture of a bunch of creatures. Let's see if this sounds familiar. The beast is a mixture of a lion, a bear, a leopard, and it has 10 horns on its head. Say, that sounds a lot like Daniel, but it sounds like those four beasts have been merged into one. Exactly. What is Revelation 13 telling you? Christians, expect this over and over and over again. Expect 
to look and see that wherever you're at on this side of sinful human history, a whole host of frightening beasts stand against the Lord and his people. Here's the point. The powers of evil are real. They were real in Daniel's day. They're real in our day. And they're stronger, crueler, and more devastating than we ever imagined. Don't underestimate them. I wonder, friends, if we often see what's really at work. I think that's part of what these beasts are all about. You're shown them in like their vivid details and colors. Because so often we look at the world and uh, there are times when it doesn't look beast-like, right? And we look at the nations and, and we hear the rumble of political turmoil. And we just say, you know, I guess this is just the way it's always been. Sometimes we even want to cozy up and the world offers us things. It offers Christians power. It looks good. It serves you a plate full of sinful temptation. You say, it doesn't look like a beast. It looks like fun. It looks good. And it's times like that that we need to be reminded through these vivid images that counter the images they send us that this is what's really at work, that human history is simply this, one arrogant beast waging war on God's people after another. Do you believe that? Do you see that that's that's really the true story of human history? If you see it from the perspective of sin and human pride? Here's another question for you. Are are you sober and prepared to encounter that beast? Are you ready to see that beast? You know, you might might meet its ferocious power in the form of, of those that would take your life. Our missionaries in Sudan very much face that threat. Christians, right here, right now, We might not be asked to sacrifice our lives to the beast, but we might face the ferocious roar of a toxic culture that says, obey, submit. Here's another thing that I think this really puts before us. Friends, are we praying for those that are oppressed far more than us by the beast? Are we diligently pouring our hearts out in prayer for those who feel the beast breath on their neck way more than we do here in, even when things feel difficult in America. There are those overseas who languish in prisons, face the knife. The beast is strong. The beast is frightening. But suddenly we see another image and and, and everything changes um, scenes and, and, and we see the second image of an ancient of days. Did you see that? It's almost sudden uh, when it happens there in verse nine. As I looked, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. I want to look at a few features of this ancient of days. Who is he, by the way? Who's the ancient of days? It's God. Ancient of days is the almighty God. Look at his name, ancient of days. 
Before these beasts ever emerged from the depths of the sea, God was there. Isn't that incredible? That's what this name, this is the first time we see this name in scripture, ancient of days. You say, why, why here? Why in this flood of pictures? I think it's because it reminds us that these beasts are not the ultimate thing. When they feel strong and when they feel frightening, we have this beautiful reminder that God outlasts these beasts in every direction. He's the unchanging God who is unswayed by their power, who is unfrightened by their roar. In fact, you'll notice they only are permitted to do things by his sovereign decree. The bear can only consume flesh because God says, I permit that to be so. That's the ancient of days. They're before the beast for all eternity. They're after the beast for all eternity. You know, what what is starting to happen? We're starting to be given an, an image and names that say there is more here than the frightening things that threaten us. And in fact, what's here is God himself. Look at his appearance in this passage. You say, well, I thought you couldn't depict God. I thought you can't see God. That's right. No one can see God. You don't draw pictures of God. Right? That's that's one of the Ten Commandments. We We don't depict God. But here, God in his word, in this slew of images he's giving you to combat the images of this world, is giving you this visual depiction that teaches you how to think about him. White clothing, white hair. What is that supposed to show us as we see that about the the ancient of days on his throne? It's showing us his perfect wisdom, his righteous judgment, his purity that just surrounds his person and, and his being. It just flows from him. Everything he does is good and right, complete opposite from those beasts. That's important to know, isn't it? When we say, is there anyone who is going to right the wrong things in this world? Is there anyone who can do it in the right kind of way? And image after image after image does either two things. First, promises you, yes, this, this Savior will do it. This Savior from the world will do it. Or disheartens you and says, no, no one can do it. This is just miserable ruler after miserable ruler. And then here comes the ancient of days on his throne with this image to combat all that, to say, yes, there is one. There is one who can render right verdict, who is pure in all his ways. It's your God. And then finally, look at his power in this this scene. Power that is shown from you in this image of a flaming chariot on which he sits. His righteous flames surround him. They consume all that is evil. And you'll notice the first thing that he does with his power. He says one thing and it's accomplished. He holds that little horn that is speaking arrogant things against God's people in contempt of court. Isn't that wonderful? This is the horn who was incessantly wearing out the saints. And you say, I felt that way before. I felt like I've heard this voice on repeat from our culture or from from a tyrant who opposes Christianity. And it's just like 
Everything they say is lies. And everything they say wears me out and it's exhausting. Everything they say works against me. And you know what the first thing that God does when he, when he takes up his throne and when the books are opened on judgment day, he says, you little horn need to stop talking right now. He silences the horn. He silences our oppressor. Ultimately, he silences Satan, right? The one who bombards God's people with accusations and lies and threats. And God says, you're done. That's how he uses his power. That's the picture of his throne room. And and I want to ask you, friends, doesn't this put things in perspective for you? All of these images are meant to show you that this is where history is really headed. Yes, the beasts are real. Yes, they are ferocious and depraved. But their time is limited. In fact, you hear that really important phrase. That they will only oppress the saints for a time, times, and half a time. And you say, what's that all about? He says, well, there's a time... There's there's some way in which God's people will will undergo suffering from these beasts. But notice this. Their time is limited. There's a limit to what they can do under God's sovereign power. Where is history headed? One beast after another until God suddenly intervenes and human pride pops like a balloon. That's how this world ends. That's where history is headed. Do you have that in your head? There's a reason why Daniel tells us this. Apparently it's because we need to hear it. You need to know that. You need to know that here in in our culture. You need to know it wherever you're a Christian. And what is our job in in all of this? God is teaching us what our job is. Our job is to look beyond the images of this world, beyond the beast of this world, and past their days of glory to the final throne room where God will judge all things. Yes, us and them and them. That's important. God is orienting our vision up and beyond the images and to the future day of his final throne room. That's encouraging for the saints in any time. Yes, at the time of Daniel, where people were asking, when does this end? Where, when does Nebuchadnezzar get judged? When, when do the tides turn? It's important for us because we're asking these same questions too. How long, O oh Lord? How long will evil prevail? How long will the beast stamp its feet? The Lord says, there's a better kingdom coming. A kingdom that I've designed for you. A kingdom that is past the kingdoms of this world and its beasts. We hear of that kingdom. Starting in verse 13 and 14 with that key figure, the cloud rider. You know, you hear of that final image, the cloud rider. I want you to know that there was a time in which 
One of the names for our church, uh, suggested names, was Cloud Rider OPC. Uh, and so that could have been our church. We could have been Cloud Rider OPC. We're not. But it's a powerful image, isn't it? There's a reason why that name says, wow, Cloud Rider. That's majestic. That's powerful. That's supernatural. It's beautiful. Um, and we hear of that cloud rider in verse 13. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the ancients, ancient of days. Now, there's a few things that really have always tripped up people as they've read about this, especially um, our Jewish friends that read about this passage. First of all, this is a person who is somehow distinct from the ancient of days. And he's human, right? He's the son of man. That's only something, that's only a title that you give to someone who is genuinely human. But there's something else about this son of man. He's also divine. Because you notice in this passage, he is served. He is worshipped. And there's something else. He comes riding in on the clouds of heaven. Now, if you were paying attention in this worship service, you've already learned that that's only something that God does. Only God comes on the clouds of heaven. Only God makes the clouds his his chariot. And so this figure is both human and divine. And you say, how is this possible? And there's one other thing. He represents the saints. There's some interesting way in which he is connected to the saints. Because you'll notice that in verse 14, he's given the kingdom. But then in verse 18, the saints are given the kingdom. You say, wait, hang, hang on. Were the saints given the kingdom or was the son of man given a kingdom? It's like, well, it's the same thing. Yes. Who is this mysterious person who secures the kingdom for God's people? Who is this mysterious figure who is human and divine and connected to the saints in some intricate way? You already know who he is. He's Jesus. Jesus. We heard of this in Revelation 1. Behold, I am coming with the clouds of heaven. Mark 14, 62, Jesus was asked, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus answered, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Amen. That is very, very good news for us. It's good news for you. Why? Jesus is the cloud rider, and that is good news for you because, first of all, it means that he has already come to battle the beasts. He's already launched his assault on those four hideous creatures that represent the powers of this world, that threaten you, and that try to destroy you. Jesus came to battle the beasts, and he dealt this decisive blow to their heads. How? By dying on the cross. By doing the opposite of their maneuvers. He died. And and, and for a time, times, and half a time, he was buried in the tomb. Suffering. Dying. And then he rose again with victory over this beast. Over these beasts. Undoing the, the most threatening power they had to kill you. And Jesus dies on the cross undoing the power of death to show you what? That the beasts are doomed. That their time is limited. 
that their weapons cannot prevail. Not only that, Jesus has come, but now he is reigning. That's what the gospel tells you. uh, That right now, right here, Jesus is the ruler of the kings on earth. And he is presently undoing the work of Satan. Corroding it. Destroying it. The gospel is on the move. The beasts have no ultimate power to squash it. They can kill you. But they send you to reign with Christ on high and his gospel goes forth even more. They can threaten you, but their threats only speed up the spread of the gospel. That's what Jesus's work has, has, um, has secured. And so it's no surprise that he's called the cloud rider coming on the, on the clouds of heaven. That's the final thing you need to see. It's good news because Jesus is coming again. What you see now is not the end. It only is the case for a times, times, and half a time. And what is coming on the clouds of heaven? Who is coming on the horizon? Your king, Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe that history is going to end not with the final beast securing world domination, but with Jesus trampling on human pride We need to get that in our heads. That's the history of the world. Friends, are you waiting eagerly for this Savior to come on the clouds? Are you waiting for him? If you have sold yourself to this world, if you have found your hope in the empires and the culture that, uh, that surges now, friends, you need to see that is a fast track to destruction. But if you have clung to this Jesus, this cloud rider, that you have a glorious future and your suffering is only for a time. He is coming on the clouds of heaven to set all things right. He is coming on the clouds of heaven to redeem you. Look up. Yes, look, look beyond the beast to judgment day, but also look up. Your Savior's coming. He's coming soon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, keep us focused, keep us ready, keep us attentive, and keep us looking to Christ, for he is coming again to set all things right for us. We pray this in his name. Come, Lord Jesus.